This is The Guardian. Today, a warning from the godfather of AI over the profound dangers of the technology he helped to invent. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Are you okay with me recording this? Developments in AI are moving so quickly. And there's this assumption that the scientists who've been working on this stuff for decades, they know what they're doing. Last week, The Guardian's UK technology editor, Alex Hearn, tracked down one of those scientists. In fact, arguably one of the people most responsible for getting us to this point. They met not in some futuristic office in Silicon Valley, but in a house in the suburbs of North London. When I arrived in his house, he, he had me sit down at his sister's kitchen table. And then we had an hour-long conversation, which honestly felt most like a, a university tutorial. I have a lot of the same concerns as lots of other people. I'll just give you a list of all those sort of what I consider the standard concerns. Jeffrey Hinton's long been known as one of the three godfathers of AI. It's a grandiose title, but it, it's earned. He won the ACM Turing Medal, the computer science's equivalent of the Nobel Prize in 2018. And it was for work on deep learning, the the fundamental approach to AI that you'll also have heard referred to as neural networking, which underpins almost everything that has lain at the heart of the revolution we've had in the last couple of years, from ChatGPT to DALI to Google Translate. Beyond being one of the centerpieces of the recent history of AI, though, Hinton's also now one of its iconoclasts. The man widely seen as the godfather of artificial intelligence has quit his job at Google, warning of the dangers of AI. Dr. Jeffrey Hinton. Alex's conversation with this eminent scientist is honestly one of the most extraordinary and unsettling I've ever heard. Concerns about AI are nothing new. Jeffrey Hinton has heard them for decades and mostly dismissed them, but not anymore. He's seen things over the past few months that have shaken him, enough to leave his job and issue the world a warning. He quit Google last week because he felt he needed the freedom to speak openly about his recent realisation that AI risks being the destruction of everything, that we are creating digital intelligences that far surpass our own, and we don't really know how to do that without risking the end of civilization. So I, I sort of firmly believe that either we're going to survive this or we're not. And we might be able to tip the odds a little bit by thinking very hard about it before it's too late. But it might well be that it's inevitable. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus kitchen table chat about the possible end of humanity. So Alex, 
Who is Geoffrey Hinton? Gosh, Geoffrey Hinton is a neuroscientist and computer scientist. I say that in that order because it's important. He didn't enter the world that he's now in seeking to build super powerful AIs that could challenge humanity. Instead, he entered it seeking to understand how the human brain works. His life's work has been creating computer systems that learn in the same way you or I learns in an effort to understand how you and I learn by creating these models. His big, big breakthrough was an algorithm called backpropagation that is intended to kind of mimic in mathematical form a real neuron in your own brain. And a neural network, it turns out, can do things similar to a human brain. It can store very, very complex information, manipulate data in ways that almost no other digital system we found can. What's interesting about Hinton is firstly that he comes from a family of scientists who have achieved massive breakthroughs. His great-grandfather, George Ball, was a mathematician whose work underpins modern computing. And his cousin, Joan Hinton, was one of the few women involved in the Manhattan Project that led to the first nuclear bomb. But the other interesting thing, Alex, is it sounds like Hinton never set out to create an all-powerful artificial intelligence. He just wanted to understand how the human brain worked. Exactly. I think like so many fundamental breakthroughs, it it was important that it came about in a sideways way, right? So much of what we think we know about computers says that Hinton's approach shouldn't work. Computers are programmed, they don't learn. Neural networks were a curiosity. And for decades after Hinton started working on them, they remained just that. But in recent years, massive increases in the amount of data we have available and massive increases in the amount of computing power we can throw at this has suddenly flipped the script. Alex, in 2012, Hinton and his team's company was acquired by Google for $44 million. And he's spent the decades since then working on this technology under Google's umbrella. Now his career has taken a somewhat unexpected turn. How has that come about? What's happened is he's been watching this technology that he shepherded into existence grow and and get more and more capable. But in the past six months, that rate of improvement has changed markedly. AI systems have been getting more powerful faster than they ever have before. And that has concerned him. That has concerned him to the point that he decided to leave Google so that he could speak freely about the danger that these systems impose. That's not to say he's left Google to blame Google for putting humanity at risk. In fact, he was very eager throughout our interview to emphasise that he thinks Google has been one of the more responsible stewards of this technology. Tell me, what exactly has he seen that's alarmed him so much? His concerns sort of grow the further into the future he looks. Right now, today, not theoretical at all, you can see the effect of technologies on the industrial production of fake news and misinformation. It'll create so much fake news that people won't anymore have any grip on what the truth is. That's really bad for having sensible elections. But there's also the divisiveness caused by companies wanting you to click more and therefore feeding you stuff that stokes your righteous indignation. And it turns out righteous indignation is a huge reward to many people. It's a drug. I'm not immune to it myself. And that's clearly having terrible political consequences. 
So he's worried that we're going to be inundated in torrents of information, much of it false, with no real ability to distinguish fact from fiction. What else worries him? In the midterm, once these systems move from the domain of the, the tinkerers into business at large, he worries that we're going to see societal upheaval, that we've created a set of technologies that can do a vast amount of the drudge work that humanity can do. The stuff that's been taken away is stuff nobody wanted in the first place. So if we can avoid the existential risk and we can mitigate some of these other risks, like by having basic income, for example, there's huge benefits to be had. I mean, it ought to be wonderful for humanity that you can increase productivity by 100% or something. That ought to just be wonderful. It ought to mean everybody only has to work hard as well. But we know that the way our society is organized at present, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to put people out of work. And that's still not the thing that's concerning him most about these systems. All right, so this is the worry. We've also heard before that AI is going to make millions of jobs obsolete, create huge unemployment and inequality far worse even than what we're living with now. But if that isn't the thing that's concerning him most about these systems, what is? That we might be creating something that is to us as we are to a frog. That, huh. that the intelligence of the AI systems that bubble up in the next five to 20 years could be unimaginably vast and unimaginably alien. There's a long-term worry that I used to think was slightly crazy. And I changed my mind over the last few months. And that's of these things getting control and taking over, which is basically the end of humanity. That's a threat that seemed like a fringe conspiracy theory kind of threat. I now think it's a very strong possibility. And I think that because of the research I've been doing. Hmm. So what has Hinton seen in these digital brains that makes him worry that they're going to be so much smarter than the kinds of biological brains that we humans have or that frogs have for that matter? Hinton's specific concerns are around the ability of it to replicate and learn from its own copies. The way he puts it is that, you know, if, if I learn something that I want to teach you, well, I, I have to teach you it. And that's not just that I have to work out how to communicate that to you. It's also that you then have to work incredibly hard to incorporate those lessons. And the point is, it's very inefficient. The number of bits per second you can transfer from one brain to another is just a few. With these digital models, you pay an enormous cost in terms of energy. And when one of them learns something, all of them know it. Just imagine 10,000 people, one person learns something, everybody knows it. Right. So it's dawned on him just how efficiently AI can absorb knowledge and spread knowledge compared to humans. Like, you've had this conversation with Hinton, and now you need to take the time to explain it to me and hope that I can follow what you're saying. But if human brains worked like AI, as soon as you learned something, I would know it. Every single human would know it instantly. Yes. Digital intelligences can just copy and paste. If you have two copies of the same system and one of them learns something, the other system learns it immediately. Mm. That means once you get to something that is nearly human-like and that can learn from the, the vast array of things that all humans can learn from, well, then you've got something that can 
very, very quickly learn everything all humans can learn. And then you've got something that can very, very quickly start learning things that even the entirety of humanity hasn't yet been able to put its collective will towards. So now they all know everything. And this gives them a huge advantage over us. The good news is we've discovered the secret of immortality. The bad news is it's not for us. We know about immortality now. You go digital. And biological things are just not like that. Okay, so they're super intelligent in a way that we can barely comprehend. But what's wrong with that? If we're the ones controlling them, giving them orders, why is that a problem? There are years of attempts to precisely articulate the way that this sort of intelligence could harm us. One that Hinton described as just one example is battlefield robots. They're going to have agency of a kind because people like Putin are going to want battle robots and they don't want to have to micromanage the battle robots. They just want to turn them loose with the goal of killing Ukrainians and they'll be more efficient at that if they can create their own subcults. My real worry is that they will very quickly realize that a very good subgoal is to get more control. If you want to achieve anything, having more control helps. So the risk here is that humans could order these robots to do reckless things or evil things. But even if we ask them to do things that we think are helpful, because they're so advanced, because they can think in ways that are so far beyond our imaginations, we actually can't predict how they're going to go about carrying out those orders. For example, we might ask AI to do something about climate change and find that the solution it lands on is to get rid of humanity. This is where you get analogies that Hinton did actually dismiss of paperclip maximizers, a dumb AI system that is nonetheless given the dumb goal of producing paperclips and decides that the best way to achieve that goal is to first eliminate humanity because humanity might turn it off and object to it, turning their bones into paperclips, and then produce more paperclips than anyone else has ever produced, tear the earth apart, explore interstellar space and turn all iron in the universe into more paperclips. The mere fact that an AI system doesn't necessarily have a clear motive for destroying humanity doesn't mean that it might not anyway, because unless it has a clear motive for not destroying humanity, we might just be the byproduct of it doing what it would be doing anyway. And does it necessarily follow that because they're smarter than us, they will dominate us? Like, is that the way that it works? Hinton's answer is that there is not an example of anything he can think of in history where something more intelligent is contained by something less intelligent. Although he joked the election of Donald Trump is perhaps one counterexample. He should meet my cats too. <laughs> there is still a hope that, that we might create something that is intelligent, something that has capability but no goals or desires. Even then though, that could still sow the seeds for our destruction accidentally. Mm, as efficiently as possible. Exactly. You tend not to go out of your way to avoid treading on ants in your path. That might be the sort of analogy we should be looking for here. Mm, to be clear, we're the ants in that analogy. <laughs> exactly. Ultimately, he's looked at the pace of improvement of these systems and extrapolated forward. And he now believes that the risk is that we will soon create something that is so advanced, so intelligent in its own rights, 
that it leads to the end of humanity itself, or at the very least, the end of the ability of humanity to decide its own future. Wow. That's a pretty heavy prediction. I mean, how did he seem to you as, as he was talking about reaching a conclusion with that kind of gravity? I think there's a sense, and you may hear it in the clips, that he had a tone of voice that was lighter than you might expect for this sort of grave warning. I've only come to this view that superintelligence is imminent very recently, but I do think it's coming. That's when you say imminent. You said not 30 to 50. Nine years, years, months. With very little confidence, I would predict five to 20 years. But I wouldn't rule out a year or two. And I still wouldn't rule out 100 years. But five to 20 years, that's the kind of time frame he's talking about before he thinks AI could reach this level of superintelligence. Yes, although he couched it by saying it could be 100 or it could be months. Months? Months. We don't know an awful lot. This is an experimental field. But if Hinton's fears are correct, we will go from something that is very clearly nearly dangerous to something that is actually dangerous, just based on the cold, hard logic of international competition and global capitalism. Alex, is Hinton predicting this as something that is going to happen, or something that he now thinks is more likely than he thought before. The good news is it's only the latter. I talked to him about this idea of a bell curve, of a, of a spread of possibilities. At one end is the possibility that actually this is all overinflated, that nothing better than ChatGPT ever comes about. In the vast middle of this curve is the range of possibilities that this is a technology like any other, that it's somewhere between the invention of the iPhone and the invention of the steam engine. And then at the tail end, at this right chunk of the curve, the risks that this reshapes civilization, either for horrible ill, the end of humanity, or for inconceivable improvement. Hinton's answer was that, that this isn't one in 10 or one in 100, but more like flipping a coin. Yeah, and if you lose the bet, it's not costing you 50 pounds. I mean, humanity is wiped out. Exactly. What if, aware of this risk, we consciously did not give these systems power? We just built them to, to learn things without actually doing things? Firstly, you would have to convince everyone of that. You would have to convince every authoritarian regime in the world that even though their battlefield robots could be better if they were hooked up to these AIs, they shouldn't do it anyway. Even if you won that, well, these are still systems that have internalized all of the public data on the entire internet that know as much about humanity as humanity knows about itself. So it's going to have read every single book that's ever been written on how to manipulate people and also seen it in practice. We're not going to have any idea what's happening if they try and manipulate us. And so it's all very well to say, well, sort of don't connect them so they can actually do things. But as long as they're talking to us, they can make us do things. So they'd be really good at deception. They'd have learned it from us. If they wanted to take over, they're not going to explain to us how they're going to do it. So even if humanity agreed to keep these systems behind a wall where they can't do any damage, they could persuade someone to set them free and they'd be pretty persuasive. That's the fear. Coming up, reasons to hope that humanity's destruction by AI might not be 
imminent. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. So is Hinton saying that this is hopeless or did he think that there was some way to put the brakes on the development of AI to to slow it down or to stop us reaching this kind of apocalyptic scenario that you're talking about? As he put it, he had two big reasons for hope. One thing gives me hope is the huge uncertainty surrounding all of this and that quite often people seem to come out of situations that appeared hopeless and be okay, like nuclear weapons. That the Cold War began with the Cuban Missile Crisis when nuclear war came within a button push away, and yet it didn't happen. That is a cause for hope. That suggests that ultimately humanity doesn't want to kill itself and that any system with people in the loop will probably act to prevent the destruction of everything. At the other end, a much smaller outcome, but something that speaks to computer science, he pointed to the Millennium Bug. But now, the latest on the Millennium Bug with Peter and Philippa. Indeed, and Gabby, we mustn't forget that with all this excitement going on, there are some very, very worried people all over the world. The Millennium Bug, has it struck or hasn't it? Well, those bugs are going to crawl all over our computers and make the planes fall out of the sky. Are they doing it or not? Well, now let's talk about... There really was a serious risk of a lot of things screwing up, but people saw it ahead of time. I mean, it's nothing like this existential risk, but the fact that people saw it ahead of time and made a big fuss about it, made people overreact it, which was probably a lot better than underreacting. And afterwards, people said, yeah, there never was a problem. The reason there never was a problem is because people actually sorted it out before it happened. Humanity's done this before. There's not many situations, but there are some. 
And it's not hopeless, but it's not, I think, automatic either. That's, that's I think, the takeaway from everything Hinton was saying, is that we need to recognize this as a potential harm and actively try and stop it because simply letting things continue unthinkingly will not do that. Okay, so that's why he's speaking out. And we've seen plans now for the Biden administration to gather AI leaders together soon to discuss these very kinds of concerns. Vice President Kamala Harris is meeting with top tech CEOs today to underscore their responsibility to prevent the misuse of AI. And the National Science Foundation will allocate $140 million to open new research institutes to study the technology. Does Hinton have any ideas for solutions? What does he suggest we do to get ourselves out of this? Hinton repeatedly said he's not a policy guy. I wish I had a nice solution like just stop burning, stop burning carbon and you'll be okay. But I can't see a simple solution like that. I'm not really a policy guy, I'm just a scientist. He is a computer scientist who is alarmed by the potential he's seeing. The first thing he wants is just for everyone to start thinking about this, not only philosophers and policy wonks, but anyone who knows AI systems to stop sitting with their head down, looking at their own small part of the puzzle and start thinking holistically, acting as one to stave off this possibility. But Alex, is that kind of a cop-out for him to have done so much to bring us to this point and now say, hey, I actually don't have a solution. That, that's on you guys. As he said, he, he doesn't regret his work in the past. He thinks, for one thing, these discoveries would have been made by someone if not for him. And I don't really regret it. That is, I think the decisions I made when I was younger to do research on how to make computer models to try and understand how the brain worked, I don't think those were bad decisions. And I also feel that me not doing that would have made no difference. It's inevitable that these things are going to be developed. What do you make of that as an excuse, though, to to say that if I didn't do this, somebody else would have? I mean, do you think that's credible? I think at the scale of Hinton's work, it is. Hinton was not on the cutting edge of near-human AI research for the vast majority of his career. Hinton was trying to understand how brains work and how to make AI systems work more like brains. I think if you are currently in the AI sector, working very, very hard to make new, stronger AI systems, it does start becoming more of a cop-out. I am constantly surprised by how many people I speak to who both agree with Hinton's fears and are actively trying to advance the state of the art of AI. So there was a petition recently that we should slow down. It's too late for that. Even if everybody in the West slowed down, do you think the Chinese are going to slow down? I mean, in a competitive environment, I don't think you can do that. The people developing these things need to get some experience with them to understand them better and know what the problems are. And it's probably those people are going to be best at figuring out how to keep them under control. This is, my analogy for this is, we actually need to peek inside Pandora's box to get some idea of what we're going to have to deal with. I'm torn. I don't know if it's possible to stop through coordinated action all this work, but I would point to times in the past when humanity has done it. Human cloning is a great example, where it became something that was on the horizon of possibility in the 90s, and around the world, 
people who worked in that sector sort of just said, you know what, actually, no, this is not something we should be doing. We should delay and we should stop because it is fundamentally unethical. Perhaps we could do the same thing for AI, but then you have the problem that AI is not human cloning. You do not need a large government-funded lab. If we just sit back and wait, then eventually someone will be able to pull up a graphics card that they buy to play you know, Grand Theft Auto 17 in 20 years' time and hit all of this problem on their own in their bedroom. So perhaps if we're going to invent this AI, we want to invent it, at least now when it can only theoretically be created with, with huge corporate or governmental resources by people who have staff of hundreds or thousands to think about it, right? Maybe, maybe we want to do it now rather than enter a world where people are making nuclear bombs in their backyards. Hinton first broke ranks with this message in a New York Times article last week. What did he say the reaction had been like since that article went online? Overwhelming, in short. He wasn't expecting it to be received quite as loudly <laughs> as it was. I guess I was a bit naive and I didn't realise how big the reaction would be. Looking back, maybe I could have predicted that. It's been hard to get any sleep and I have three people who currently want to talk to me, Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer and Elon Musk are in the White House. He'll speak to them this week. But he has time to speak to you, Alex Hearn. Of course, of course. I mean, that's the order of importance, isn't it? The Guardian first, the White House second, Elon Musk third. He wasn't expecting, he said, this degree of response. And in fact, it's caught the public eye in a big way. Because I think everyone has seen time and again things that seem the preserve of humanity alone have become the preserve of AI as well. And if that doesn't stop, then one way or another, we do sleepwalk into superhuman intelligence. So, Alex, what did you come away from this interview feeling? Like, what do you do next after you've sat down with a computer scientist who's explained to you a credible scenario for the end of humanity? I mean, you go away and you write very quickly to make the print deadline. But you also... The first time, you roll your eyes. The fourth time, you get worried. The tenth time you've sort of internalized it. And I think that's roughly where I am now. I can say I didn't come away any more scared than I was before because I'm already quite scared. I'm not incredibly terrified because I am very aware of the many times in history that people have pointed to an exponential curve and gone, surely this will never stop. And it has stopped. I'm not yet convinced that we're 50-50 to destruction. But I, I am increasingly respectful of that concern. I still think the most likely outcome for all of this is that we have something that is merely the level of upheaval of another industrial revolution. But I can't ignore the possibility that these people are right and we are sowing the seeds of our own destruction. So our odds of survival are better than 50-50 for now? I mean, I feel bad completely disagreeing with someone more eminent, more knowledgeable and more prepared to you know, put his money where his mouth is. But also... Taken at large, the community that Hinton is a part of isn't quite so fatalistic as he is just yet. And I'm holding quite a lot of my own sanity to that fact. I think we we all are. Alex Hearn, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. That was Alex Hearn, whose interview and work on this subject can be found at theguardian.com. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser. Sound design was by Adam Bransbury. 
The executive producer was Homer Khalili. And we'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.